Well, welcome to the Convene broadcast uh, coming to you from Los Angeles and Louisville. And so, Doug, welcome. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be with you. Uh, a quick bio for those of uh, our folks who are listening who may not know you, a lifelong entrepreneur. And that's important because you're not a theology guy, you're, you're a business guy, a diverse background in media and technology, chairman of uh, Chrysalis portfolio company, Apresis, or Apresis a Louisville-based company that's an innovative tech solution company that assists law enforcement efforts, president and CEO of Greater Louisville, Inc., uh, president and founder of the Cobb Group, publisher of newsletters, and you hold a BA from Williams College, a three-time Inc. 500 CEO, and Kentucky Entrepreneur of the Year three times. Wow, you definitely don't have that theology background. I have been teaching a Sunday school class for 20 years, so that does come in as well. But my, my background is in business and starting companies and building them and selling them. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just kind of messing around here a little bit for our listeners because it's great if, if we have a theology background, but we're going to talk about some things that normally are things talked about by people with masters in divinity and all that. So that's why I think it's so innovative and interesting how, how did an entrepreneur from Louisville get interested in the end times and the Great Commission and write a book uh, and, the, and then the end will come? It's a, uh, there's several bank shots in the course of this, but it begins really in 1994 when I met Paul Eshelman, who at the time was leading the Jesus Film Project. He liked to grab hold of guys like me, take us to amazing exotic places around the world and kind of turn us on to what the Jesus film was doing. He took me to Nigeria, Ghana, and Sierra Leone in 1994. I think I was before that trip, like most American Christians, God, I'll do anything you want. Just please don't make me go to Africa. And of course, first place he takes me is, is Nigeria, right? In, in Africa. Yeah. That trip was amazing for a lot of reasons and had a lot of impact on my life. But one of the most important was connecting me with Paul when he left the Jesus Film Project, he started a ministry called Finishing the Task, FTT, and really began to focus the, you know, God's kingdom on the task of engaging the world's remaining unengaged people groups with the gospel. When he started FTT in 2005, there were about 3,500 people groups on earth that nobody had ever been to with the gospel. And Paul's mission has always been to see the gospel go everywhere, and he became passionate about that, those groups. He invited me into that as a volunteer, as a member, kind of a volunteer member of his team. And as we got further and further into that, my wife and I began to give toward uh, seeing these some of these groups engage. So we were privileged to be the funders of some engagement projects, uh, which is just an amazing privilege and really what I've continued to do since then. But it's also through FTT that I came to understand the promise of Matthew 24, 14. You know, in Matthew 24, at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus' disciples ask him, this is my paraphrase, but it's what they ask him, when are you coming back? And he gives them a long answer with a lot of things, people are familiar with wars and rumors of wars, you know, all that stuff. And but in verse 14, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. 
And I, I just became captivated by the idea that we might be the generation that could see the end of the Great Commission race. We could be the, you know, the last runner in that relay and the generation that thereby opened the door to the return of Christ by completing the, the work that he gave us to do and opening the door to that promise of Matthew 24, 14. And that has just become really a compelling vision to me since that time. Sweet. Well, your wife, Gina, and you, as you alluded to, have been able to fund the engagement of hundreds of unengaged people groups. And, and I think it'd be important for our listeners to know there are uh, unreached and unengaged. Uh, talk about those two words, because they're important as we go forward. Yeah, let's talk about three, in fact. So there's the reached world. That's the world where there are plenty of Christians and plenty of churches. There's the unreached world. That, the, those are places where there are some Christians and some churches, but not very many. Uh, so think about the Arab world. Most of India would call, qualify into that category, um, a lot of Asia. But then at the very bottom of the stack, there's the unengaged world. And these are people groups that, as far as we know, there's never been a single Christian or a single church. In fact, nobody's even been to these places to tell these people about the gospel uh, and what we're trying to do, my, really my mission is to eliminate that band, right? I'd like to go from three bands to two, unreached and reached. That will be a, a, a remarkable day when we cross that finish line. Mm, wow. So uh, the finishing fund is something that you established. Uh, uh, I don't want to take all our time to focus on that right at this minute of our time, but the finishing fund vision is to accelerate the effort to complete the Great Commission so, are there so there are disciples in every nation by 2022. So you've basically not just said, oh, this is important, I'll pray about it. You've said, hey, uh, let's give to that end. It started with Gina and me giving out of our personal funds, but then God gave us the idea for the finishing fund as a way to invite other folks into that same um, mission. So over the course of the last four years or so, I've um, invited 140 partners into the finishing fund. Together, we've put up about $14 million and have helped send the gospel to about 500 people groups. So um, the fund is really a way to extend my reach beyond what I'm personally able to do and to invite others into this amazing mission. It's, it's just a joy to be able to you know, be the leader of that effort. Hmm. So there is this conundrum, this little sticky wicket that we're going to jump into, and that is that as soon as um, somebody reads your book uh, and then the end will come, they're going to realize that it talks about there are 10 clues uh, that Jesus and then the Bible uh, talks about and unpacks and says, watch for these things because that's those are signs. But then there's that other side of the coin, the, the verse that we all can remember real quick which is nobody knows the hour or the day when Jesus will come. So many people listening are probably uh, uh, resting in the camp. Nobody knows. So since nobody knows, there's nothing that we can pin a time on. But you've meticulously gone through the 10 clues and actually done a chart that is uh, some pretty surprising work. Talk about that. So I think there's a tension Greg, in the Bible around this issue of 
you know, trying not to be too specific about picking a time uh, of Jesus' return. I think we're warned against that. He said, no one knows the hour of the day. But within a few words of saying that, he also said, even so, when you see these things occurring, you will know that the end is near. And so there's, a, I think, an understanding, the way I would process it is, is that we can't know precisely about his return, but we can know generally about it, the season of his return. And really, uh, that's what we try to do in the book, is point out that there are a number of clues that we are living in the, the season of Jesus' uh, return. We don't try to pin it down to a year or a day or, you know, but um, we do, you know, say that we, you know, I believe it is, it's really close. Wow. Uh, could you unpack some of the clues for us? Well, the most important one is the one we just talked about, which is, you know, the completion of the Great Commission. Uh, I mentioned, you mentioned that I, I believe that by God's grace, we can be started in all the remaining people groups by the end of next year. And so we'll have crossed a very important finish line in that Great Commission race of believers and disciples in every biblical nation. Uh, but even if you set the finish line a little further away, like, say, the translation of the Bible into every language or a church being planted in every place, every village, neighborhood, suburb, two other important goals, those goals are only a few years away from being completed. The, the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication says 2025 for the church in every place goal. E10, the uh, leader in translation, says 2023, 2033 for uh, the Bible in every language. So even if the, you know, if the furthest finish line, we're very, very close. You know, we're within 10 years or so of seeing that work being completed. But there are other clues as well. Um, one big one would be the, um, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. One of the most historically preposterous events um, that, that has ever been. There really is no other example of a country, of a people that have been forcibly evicted from their homeland, persecuted for centuries, have held together as a people group. Just that's remarkable. But then for them to be reassembled and put back into the, their territory, their historical territory, ancestral land is, it's just preposterous. I think, in fact, it's one of probably the most significant biblical apologies for the existence of God. You know, there's really kind of almost no other way to predict it, to explain it. But what's really amazing is, is that God said he would do this, and he says he would do it all through the Old Testament, as far back as Deuteronomy chapter 30, he promised that at the end he would regather uh, his people from the four corners of the earth and, you know, give them back their ancestral homeland. So, you know, I, I like the fact that we have a God who calls his shots, right? He, he, uh, he points to the place in the stands where he's going to hit the ball and then he, he hits it there. And, but he does it 3,500 years before he, you know, he, uh, he, he pulls off the, the, the home run. So, so that's another really important when Jesus linked his return to that uh, establishment, the reestablishment of Israel. And then there's a, a number of others. We can talk about as many of them as you'd like. But, um, you know, I think all kind of interesting pointers to the soon return of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take this to um, the boardrooms and the shop floors and the cubicles of some of our listeners. They just heard you say that um, some organizations would say it, it might be in the zone of 
uh, 10-ish more years. Uh, I think your book says up to maybe 40 more years uh, in the in the season of Jesus' return. But I, I think many business leaders would say, hmm, I don't know, this would be a great survey to do. But I think they would say, mm-hmm. well, I think since nobody knows when Jesus is coming back, since we don't know, let's just carry on. But I feel like if you if you if somebody really, really, really knew when Jesus was coming back, which nobody does, and they walked in my front door and said, hey, everybody, just want to let you know, Jesus is coming back tonight by six o'clock. I might run out to my shop floor and say, hey, everybody, emergency meeting. There's something I have to tell you. But maybe we should accelerate our thinking, even if it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, not oh, sometime in the future, I'll probably be dead. What, what are your thoughts for business leaders? You know, I, I do believe uh, I'm, I'm highly motivated by the hope that my generation will be the one that sees this happen. I'll be 64 in a couple more days. So, you know, that's not a, an infinite period of time. Probably 40 years is more than I've, I've got. Uh, I hope, I believe that it will be within the next 10 or 15 years. I think that's, you know, if you pin me down, I would say that. And I think there's several aspects to this. You know, um, one would be, uh, you know, that we want to be personally, as as followers of Jesus, we want to be personally preparing ourselves to meet our bridegroom. Um, a verse I really love in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter begins that chapter by talking about the day of God coming, about the coming judgment. And then in verses 11 and 12, he says, what kind of people ought we to be, given that this is coming? He says, we should live holy and godly lives, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So he gives us four, four instructions. Holy, that means set apart, distinctive. We want to be different from the culture uh, that surrounds us. And that's especially true as we see the culture kind of circling the drain. Um, we don't want to be drawn into that. We want to stand apart from that. A godly, I think about that as more and more like Jesus, being conformed to the image of uh, our Lord. You know, the fruit of the Spirit's a good list, love, joy, peace, patience. You know, we want to be investing ourselves and opening ourselves up to the Spirit's uh, empowering to be more and more like, like Him. Looking forward, you know, the Bible commends people who are looking forward to the return of Jesus. In fact, think about, you know, the Lord's Prayer the very first thing he asks us to pray for is what? You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer for the return of, of Jesus and the establishment of his earthly kingdom. Um, and then that last part, you know, uh, hastening its coming, that's kind of the mystery. Uh, and, you know, what I think that that is, an instru- at least the way I've interpreted it for myself, is that's about this task of finishing the Great Commission. That's about being very focused and very purposeful in these last days about making sure we get this mission accomplished. And different people have different roles in that. Some people can give toward it. Some people are called to go. Everybody can pray. Uh, You know, we all have a role in it, but I think that's a big part of what God wants us uh, to be doing. There's one more thing that comes to mind, too, if you don't mind me just sharing this. But you know, I've been thinking a lot recently about the the parable that Jesus tells about the rich fool who, you know, whose wealth increases, and he says, um, "I know what I'll do. I'll I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns." Right? The assumption is 
he doesn't know anybody, anything, and he's going to be around for a long time to enjoy the fruit of his, his labor. And of course, you know, in the parable, his life is demanded of him that day. God calls him, you fool, you know, you weren't rich toward, toward me. But it's occurred to me that, you know, one of the things we live with in our culture is we don't even have to build bigger barns. You know, our brokerage accounts easily can accommodate a seven-figure number as well as a six and an eight as well as a seven, right? I mean, it just can get, keep getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, it, it's, um, it's categorically true that whatever is left in those things on the day Jesus comes back will be worthless and useless to us. And so I, I think if we are if we're leaning toward the idea that Jesus is coming back, I think we ought to be leaning into thinking about what God has entrusted to us, how much of that we need to keep, and how much of it we can put to work in his, his kingdom. So, um, you know, for business owners and successful business owners, I think that's something to keep in mind, right? Don't fall into the trap of letting your barns get bigger just because they do. You know, be conscious about that, that opportunity. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's, really, that's really good. Um, talk to business leaders who uh, are listening and they're saying, well, okay, I, I'm in, I'm buying this notion that I wasn't before. I thought Jesus was coming back someday, but I really hadn't thought about it. Now, maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now, maybe in my lifetime, what ideas would you give them that they might do? Um, this week? You know, um, one thing I've learned in the course of um, my work in the finishing fund and talking to a lot of people about the Great Commission is that if you compare the level of um, care and thought that people put into managing their secular portfolios, and you compare that to the care and thought they put into managing their kingdom portfolios, there's typically no comparison, right? Um, a lot of people are spending their full time running their businesses, which may be a big part of their wealth. So they're, you know, kind of full time engaged in managing that. Or if they have a portfolio independent of that, they uh, have a manager, maybe more than one manager who is looking after that, structuring it, advising them on that. But almost nobody approaches their giving portfolio, their kingdom portfolio with that kind of intentionality. And one thought might be, um, you know, think about how you could be more intentional about your kingdom portfolio. Am I giving to all the things that I should be? You know, if I look at what Jesus commanded for human compassion and the Great Commission and other things that he has called us to, my church, you know, as a, a key priority, you know, am I balanced in the proper way? Am I taking advantage of the opportunities that are around me? And bringing some of that same thoughtfulness that we spend on our stocks and bonds to our giving and the you know portfolio of our kingdom. The Bible teaches, I think, that we're going to enjoy the fruit of those investments for a lot longer than we're going to enjoy the fruit of these, and yet we're often not nearly as thoughtful about these as we are about the, the secular side. Yeah, um, earth is a test, as my pastor and your friend Rick Warren likes to say. Uh, yep. it, it's a test, and uh, God is watching, and there are rewards for performance. Now, there are. I don't know about you, but I've taught Bible studies where you bring the rewards thing up, and people go crazy, right? They're they're and not good crazy. They're saying, yeah, they're unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell me that 
God laid out in advance that there are rewards. I'm like, well, it's right here in scripture. Uh, but I, don't I would blame chime, me, right? <laughs> yeah, don't blame me. I would chime in a little bit. You know, I was at Biola University for about 13 years, uh, having a lot to do with raising money. And uh, one of the things that I found true of many people with resources, this is not a good thing, but they would respond with a gift to the person who asked them most recently or who they liked or who had a good donor event. Uh, so we, we went, you know, fishing with the president. We, we rode dirt bikes in the desert with the executive director. Uh, they had a great two-day weekend at the Ritz-Carlton. And I would say, well, how about instead of that, you looked at the countries of the world and decided which countries God is calling you to? How about if you looked at the needs in the world, whether they be poverty or water uh, or sex trafficking or whatever the need is that you're called to? And then you just kind of continued to drill that down and said, oh, for me, it's crisis pregnancy centers in Philadelphia. Or for me, it's clean water projects in Kenya. Whatever the case may be, then when the donor rep calls and says, would you like to come to our two-day fundraising weekend? Uh, we are about XYZ. And XYZ has nothing to do with what you and your spouse, if you're married, uh, have decided you want to give to, you can easily say no. That, that's the very kind of intentionality I was just talking about, right? Figuring out what God specifically has called you to and, you know, pursuing that with the same vigor that you pursue your, you know, your secular uh, occupation. One of my favorite verses in scripture, Greg, is um, uh, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, I really like it because it follows 8 and 9, which are kind of, you know, everybody knows, you know, it's, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not a work so that no one can boast. But in, in verse 10, having made the point that our salvation has nothing to do with works, verse 10, the very next verse, Paul says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And I, I, love, I love a couple things about that verse. One is I love the idea that while works has nothing to do with our salvation, we're saved by grace. Works has everything to do with our life in Christ, right? He has saved us, according to that verse, to do good things that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And then I love this idea that God has a list of good works for Doug and for Greg, right, that are the things that are just designed for me or for you or for whoever's listening to us, and the fun adventure of figuring out what those things are just for you, right? very big. God's kingdom is very big. There's so many ways to be active in it, but, you know, so many of us kind of take a pass on that and, um, you know, don't really get fully engaged in it. Uh, that verse has been very motivational to me to try to make sure I discover as many of those things as I can and, you know, pick them up, right? Take advantage of them. Exactly. And it takes, I think it also takes the guilt away from feeling like you have to say yes to something that you oh, yeah. are not called to. Yeah, I mean, when I talk to people about the finishing fund, you know, I feel like it's a little bit like evangelism. My job is to put this opportunity before them, and then the Holy Spirit will help them decide if this is the thing for them. And they may already be invested in other things. They may have a calling like you have mentioned to some other area of kingdom work. And, you know, I'm like, God bless. That's great. You know, go 
with full speed toward what God has called you to. If this is not the thing, then, you know, that's great. God will provide what we need as well. So it's, right. it's really good. Right. And, and then I would add this uh, from the other perspective, the pressure is off the donor representative from the enterprise um, because it it's basically Doug, um, I would love you to prayerfully consider my ministry X, Y, Z. And if the answer is no, that you and Gina feel like you're called to something else, we totally understand. Uh, there's no pressure. Uh, yeah, the pressure for me is to do the best job I can of explaining the opportunity, yeah. always trying to do that better. But I don't feel really any pressure. And I, I, you know, I hope no one would that, you know, it's my job to convince you that you've got to do this, right? Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's not my job. My job is to share the opportunity with you. Yeah. Well, let's uh, switch gears for a minute. Let's say someone that's listening is saying, hmm, uh, unreached, unengaged people groups sounds like something I've never heard of before. Or to put it in my pastor's terminology, let's have a Bible, a believer, and a body of Christ in these yep. places. I'm in. Uh, what would they do to say, uh, Doug, I'd like to talk further? Yeah, they can go visit our website uh, at finishingfund.org, one word, finishingfund.org. Uh, and that'll give them some more background about what we're doing. Uh, if they're interested in some of the other elements of the Great Commission, I'm happy to help direct them toward that as well. And they can email me directly at dcob, D-C-O-B-B, at finishingfund.org. And I'll be happy to, you know, just help them any way I can get involved in this amazing work. Great. And how does somebody get a copy of And Then the End Will Come? At your bookstore locally should be there, certainly at Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope people will take a check it out and uh, hope they'll enjoy it. Great. And if you're a Convene member listening... Uh, that book is winging its way to you, uh, even as we speak. But what happens? Yeah, Greg, for... thank you for making that possible. Well, you made it possible. We just uh, we just helped uh, the the carrier pigeons to get it to all of our members. What happens Great. if somebody uh, wants to be a financial partner? So they 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 write you. But what would what would happen if they uh, become a part of the finishing fund, a giving group? They get to jump on this train that is racing down the tracks toward um, seeing every people group engaged within the next year or so. We do our, the finishing fund works kind of like a mutual fund. When you invest in the finishing fund, you own a piece of every project that we are involved with, the old ones, the new ones, the ones that we're currently doing. So you really get kind of a ringside seat to seeing what God is doing uh, to complete the Great Commission all over the world. We're working in over 50 countries now, 52 or 53, I think. And so today the report may be from India, tomorrow it may be from China, the next day it may be from Brazil. We really are, you know, sitting there right at the frontier of what God's doing in the, in the completion of this work. Great. I love how in the book, I don't know if it's every chapter, but it feels like it was every chapter, uh, that you end with Jesus is coming back very soon. That's well, you know, uh, our brothers and sisters who wrote a lot of those books in the New Testament said the same thing. It's certainly true that we're it's sooner for us than it was for them. But I think, you know, a, a careful study of the word says that it's very soon. Um, and, you know, I'm 
trying to do the best I can to prepare myself for that because I want to be as ready as I can be to, to greet Jesus when he comes back. What a privilege that will be. You know, some generation is going to get to experience that, to transition directly from life on this earth to heavenly life from our current bodies to our new bodies without having to experience death. Wouldn't it be awesome to be a part of that, a part of that generation? That, mm-hmm. It's just a very powerful motiv- motivator for me. And it, it's such a big, big, big thought, right? Um, some, some people listening are, they're focused on their business and that's a big uh, thought and it's their only thought. Uh, some people are focused on their spouse in marriage. Things are not going well, and they're being critical of each other. And there's a bigger thought. Jesus is coming back very soon. Um, if it's your business and you're worried about your EBITDA, Jesus is coming back very soon. If you're so focused on your hobbies that you're you know, spending all your money on your uh, hobbies or if you're totally focused on your third house in the mountains and the pipes broke and you're trying to figure out how to deal with that, Jesus is coming back very soon. I think once we focus on that meta thought that a lot of things fade, do they not? I think so. And, you know, one, one sad thing is I think in the West particularly, we have been really undersold on what God has in store for his people in eternity. Uh, and the, the very last chapter of the book is just a survey through the promises God has made for his people, the amazing things that he has in store for us, things so amazing that the Bible says that you can't even imagine how great they'll be. They exceed even the power of our imagination. And as I say in the book, I can imagine some pretty amazing things, but you know, God's promise that will be even beyond that, right? So you know, I, I, I encourage people that no matter how good your life is or how good you hope it's going to be, it doesn't even begin to compare with what one day in God's eternal uh, presence is going to be like. And, you know, I, I think helping understanding that better helps us a little bit to do what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter four. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. But what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And uh, especially in these crazy days we live in where a whole lot of things appear to be going wrong, I think anything we can do to kind of fix our gaze, move our gaze from the seen to the unseen, from the secular world to God's kingdom, it's going to be good for our mental health, good for our spiritual health. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up our time. Thank you so much for being with us. If you're interested in finding more about the Finishing Fund, go to the go to finishingfund.org. Did I get that right? Correct. Uh, finishingfund.org. If you'd like to meet Doug in person, he'll be May 4, 5, 6 at the Convene Conference. Convene now. You can find out more about it there or Convene 2022 uh, on the web. Uh, you'll find out more about Doug and his appearance at our conference in Ojai, California. So we're grateful that you uh, took time to be with us. And we're really grateful that uh, uh, you have been steeped in God's truth and steeped in figuring out how to do something about what you've learned and given everybody who's listening a pathway to do something about it with you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for this opportunity and for the opportunity coming up next year, too. Looking forward to being with everybody and talking more about these things. Thanks, Doug. Have a great day.